Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. In this episode, I talked to Roxanne from Finance Rocks. That is a blog and YouTube channel. This is a little bit of a different episode. We're not going to talk about affiliate marketing or SEO or any of those sort of normal topics. We're talking about personal finance and financial independence. So I think it leans more towards just personal finance and habits. But we do talk about FI, financial independence, and a lot of the details from Roxanne's story. So her and her husband paid off a lot of debt. They bought a house in cash a few years ago. They have a high savings rate, and they are aiming for financial independence by age 39. Of course, there's many factors involved. And one other cool thing is Roxanne has a YouTube channel, so we'll link up to that so you could check it out, as well as a video, a specific video on emergency funds. So that that's one of the topics she sort of excels at as far as the, well, well just the YouTube algorithm. I mean, to be honest with you, she has some other areas that she's amazing in, but that particular video is the one that's hit pretty well with YouTube. Another thing that we have in common, we have several things in common, which is why I reached out to her, but she quit her job back in March of 2020 to work on Finance Rocks full-time. And that is coaching and blogging and YouTube and just sort of like building her personal brand. And we talk about all of that stuff. And I know some of the struggles when you're trying to start something from scratch. And I didn't have the same stress as her. I had a full-time job when I was doing, you know, launching my company. However, you know, she is doing it full-time, so she doesn't really have any other excuses. I always, I love to have excuses, so I always had one. A couple other things we had in common, which we talk about a few of them, but she's out of the Bozeman, Montana area, and I moved away from there about a year ago, a year and some change and I, I loved it there. It was awesome. Really enjoyed it. So when I saw we had some similar interests in general, and then she's out of Bozeman, which is a fairly small town. I mean, we didn't ask about people that we probably know um, in common, but it's such a small enough town and people that are into certain things tend to I don't know. It's just a small town. So you end up knowing more people, which is kind of kind of cool because I'm from the suburbs back down near Atlanta. So you really don't just bump into people all the time. It's such a sprawling city out there. But in Bozeman, you may go to a brewery and see five or six people you know, or any random restaurant, see a bunch of people. And I didn't even live there that long. And I'm not particularly social. And I still met a lot of folks and would see them out at the uh, the bars and stuff. I guess I drink. That's always a good social lubricant. A few housekeeping notes before I send it to the interview. If this is the first episode that you've listened to, awesome. Thanks for checking it out. I've done other interviews with sort of financial independence uh, folks. I've talked to Carl and Mindy Jensen, but I talked to Cody from The Fi Show and also uh, Millennial Boss, which is Julie Berninger. I'm forgetting their last names, but check out some of the other five shows if you're into that stuff. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, there's some new people that are checking out the show because Roxanne's on. And if you're a longtime uh, fan, I do encourage you to check out those financial independence topics, which I'll riff on that after the interview here. So let's get to Roxanne and don't forget to check out her YouTube channel, see what she's all about. Welcome, Roxanne. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing really well. And I am uh, I'm pumped to talk to you. I think we have a lot of uh, like big accomplishments that you've, you've done that we can really unpack and hear how other people can do it. Because when you just hear some of these headlines and you don't have the details behind it, it sounds like insurmountable in a lot of ways. So before we get into those details, who are you and you know what do you, what do you do? Just give us a little background on yourself. Sure. Yeah. Who am I? Good question. So <laughs> I started financerocks.com about three years ago. I am a blogger and YouTuber, personal finance coach. So really my goal is to help people 
pay off debt, save more money, and really find more confidence and joy in their finances. You know, so many people face it and it's dreadful. So trying to flip that and really get people engaged. You know, I I struggled with um, financial stress when I was younger. And so it's kind of been my life mission to eliminate that for myself and now helping other people with it. All right. And as far as your like sort of previous career, can you give us a little background on that too? Yeah. So I graduated um, with a degree in accounting and a minor in planning two months worth of projects in one month. I'm just kidding. That was good. <laughs> that was good. I was like, oh, wow. That, that, that's actually, that's very good. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like, too serious there. <laughs> No, um, but I graduated in accounting, uh, started working in accounting and found it kind of monotonous. I really like doing different things all the time. I get bored kind of easily, Um, but I started working at a nonprofit and thankfully I was able to kind of switch roles every few years. So I did a little bit of payroll. I did accounts payable, regular accounting, and then I transitioned into financial analysis, data management, project management. Yeah. So a lot of different things. I worked there for nine and a half years and I just stopped working in March to work on finance rocks full time. Very cool. And we could unpack some of this too, but you're in, you're in the Bozeman area and that's where I moved from recently. So I was just watching YouTube videos as I do sometimes. And one of your videos came up and I checked it out and I was like, Oh, Bozeman, that's super cool. It's a small town. And just that alone was probably the one of the main triggers where I was like, oh, I'd love to talk to someone from from the Bozeman area. So h- how do you uh, how do you like it there overall? I mean, it, you, you recently bought a house, so you're putting down roots, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I grew up here. I grew up in Anaconda. So I, I know what you mean. It's really nice to meet people from Montana because, you know, there aren't that many of us. Uh, and especially like the overlap between, you know, living in Montana and like financial independence. Like I just, I, I was so glad that you reached out to me. I love talking to people about money and, uh, yeah, so it's been good. Yeah. I like it here. Wish that there were, was more of a FI community, which, you know, I'm jealous of you because you get to go to MMM head headquarters. Yeah. Very, it's strange to be like so close and neighbors with some of the big, the big dogs in the FI community. So cool. Well, let's move on to some of your accomplishments. So one of the top bullet points is paying off $49,000 in debt. So can you talk to us, like, where did that debt come from and how did you approach it? Cause that's obviously a huge amount of money. Yeah. So that is combined for both myself and my husband. And it was mostly student loans, 35,000 of it was student loans. And then we had two vehicle loans and in our engagement ring. So yeah, I graduated school and that was the time uh, the most debt we had was the 49. Uh, Right after that, we moved to a farm and farmed for five years near Great Falls. And um, during that time, we didn't really wanna rely on my husband's income. Uh, So we said, okay, we'll use my income to pay off debt. And then, you know, hopefully we can just reinvest into the farm and then um, hopefully someday it'll, make money. So we, uh, we use mostly my income for five years to pay it off. And yeah, I think it's a lot of it is frugality and just focusing on like day-to-day actions. I also consider myself to be a workaholic, especially during this time. So that helped as well. What kind of farm? So we did barley, wheat, and then we had about a hundred cows that each year they would calf and we would sell the calves. Okay. And I know, I know that Montana is one of the the biggest growers for like barley and wheat and, and corn, and they supply a lot of breweries. So did you, were you a supplier for breweries? Yeah. I, yeah. I think it was Coors. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And are you a big beer drinker yourself? I'm not. I like the girly beers, the grapefruit ones and that kind of thing. My husband loves like, um, oh gosh, he loves uh, like Belgian, Belgian white kind of beers and uh, okay. he loves, yeah, all the dark beers he loves. So, okay. Well, it's a good thing that you're not, cause we would, that would have been a whole other tangent that we would go down. So, yeah. all right. So you were, you were doing the farming for about five years and I actually, I had no clue. So 
I have no idea, but I imagine that's not a super lucrative business, but I could be wrong. So were you able to like pay off a, a lot then or were you, uh, yeah, what was going on during those five years? Yeah, that was when I, I first started working with my degree in accounting. So I started out making like 18,000 that first year, but then like scaled up to about 36,000. So we lived very frugally because we were able to pay the full 49,000 out of that essentially. And then my husband, he grew up with farming. So he was knowledgeable about it. And his dad would come out to the farm and give him advice. We also traded equipment in exchange for him working. So like my husband would work on our farm and then head out to their farm, which was about an hour away. Between those, uh, we did get lucky because his dad owned the farm that we leased. And so it hadn't, the ground hadn't been worked as hard as it could have been. So the, the first few years were very productive. So we ended up after the five years, we cashed out with about $230,000. So that's his full income for five years. So divide that by five. Okay, gotcha. So not massive, but good for being right out of school and good for Montana. Right. Especially, you know, sort of smaller, smaller towns in general. And I mean, for the people that don't know, in Montana, the salaries are like kind of depressed compared to a lot of other places. Like I think in with my background in a big city, I could probably make 130, but in Montana, it was probably like 75. 75 is still good. Like I mean, I think it was like 40 to 50 is our average. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, especially in the Bozeman area. It's very expensive because there's a lot of people that work remotely, that have the big city jobs so they could buy big houses. So that said, you recently purchased the house. You bought it in cash. Um, you mentioned 210000 And that wasn't that far after the you know the farm, the few years at the farm. So how were you able to pull together the two ten? Yeah, so that was what we did with like the money from the farm. The 200 of it went to the house and the rest of it we set aside for my husband to go back to school. So he went and got a master's degree in software engineering. So he did that. So we've actually been in this house for five or six years now. So he actually was able to make money during that time too. We weren't sure if he would be able to work, but basically broke even on that. So essentially the rest of the farm money just went to savings. Got it. And so five or six years ago is when you bought it. So it's probably worth like 300 or 350 now, something like yeah. that. Yeah. 300 is about where I have it um, pegged for appreciation, which is really good Two, 210 to 300 since, uh, gosh, it was 2014. Yeah. 30%. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty good. So why, why did you buy the house outright versus investing it and right now, when we're recording in 2020, interest rates are like crazy low. But of course, five, six years ago, they weren't as low. But yeah, why, why did you decide to buy versus just invest it? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we talked about that at the time a little bit. I was still very new to investing and didn't really have a whole lot of comfort level. I, I don't know about you, like, you know, when you were first starting getting into investing, like, did it come pretty naturally? Like, I, yeah, I just didn't have anyone to like ask about. So ultimately we decided, you know, we'd go ahead and just use the cash for it. But yeah, I do go back and think, oh, you know, maybe we should have invested it. The good part is like, you could always change your mind. Like right now, if you, I don't know the name of the mortgage, if it's a home equity line or how you have to like organize it from a banking and loan standpoint, but yeah, you could always go back and pull the money out and then throw in the stock market and then have like $500 a month for your mortgage, like whatever you want to do. And then, I mean, yeah, it's a good question. I ended up not really getting into investing until we had really saved up a lot of money and then realized we needed to do, we weren't saving it fast enough and we just had too much cash, basically fun problem. Right. And then we found Mr. Money Mustache and some similar folks who, you know, index funds go Vanguard or something similar. So that's sort of where we aimed. And then we just bought a house that's, you know, a lot more expensive, but it fits into like what, you know, what we're trying to do, 
which I, I don't even know what we're trying to do exactly, but it fits in, you know, budget wise. So I think the interest rates that we got in 2020, very good. So it's kind of a no brainer to go ahead and borrow the money and then put more money into the stock market. Yeah. And you know, I, that's kind of what happened to us too. We, you know, we were trying not to count on that money from the farm so like not even thinking about it as it existing, because, you, you know, you can have one bad year on the farm and it just wipes out all of your profits. So we really weren't counting on it. And then, you know, we got the final numbers on like the cost, like how much we could sell the cows for and how much we could sell our remaining grain for. And then we were like, oh, OK, uh, what are we going to do with this money? <laughs> so a good problem to have, like you said. Gotcha. And to go back to, you know, I guess it sounds like you liquidated the the farm assets right so you didn't own the property you were renting it and then you would make money selling the the goods and then you you just sold everything that you had and whatever assets you accumulated from like farm equipment or whatever and then okay so that's how you had the sort of lump sum okay when you were doing that and accumulating did you know it was going to be that much money or you just all of a sudden you were like oh holy cow like this is a, a pretty good cash out if we do it right now yeah, we didn't know. <laughs> we did not know. Um, basically, our expectation was we're just going to try to break even, like try not to lose money. Because, you know, my, my husband grew up with farming, and so he didn't really know if he was going to like it. Our expectations were, were just really low. Okay. And during that time, it sounds like, you know, you mentioned frugality a couple of times. You currently have like a 50% plus savings rate. So... Yeah, just tell us about it. And if you could share your like annual uh, expenses, that'd be great too to give people a scope of what you know two people and a, a healthy dog cost. Yes, uh, healthy is a very polite way to say it. He is quite a chunk. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so right now we're shooting, we try to keep our expenses at about 40000 per year. So that's everything. Um, and that's a really... It feels like we're living very richly. Like I know that's something like Mr. Money Mustache talks about. Like he feels like he's living it fully, and that's how we feel about it too. Since we don't have a mortgage or rent or anything, um, essentially we're spending about ten, seven to ten thousand per year on travel in regular years. Probably about that much in dog food. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, kind of as long as we stick with that, then, you know, we save and invest the rest. And we've done a really good job controlling, like, controlling our expenses, really fostering a sense of contentment with, you know, being happy with things and being grateful for what we do have. And 40K for two people, that's, that's really in, that's no mortgage. So that's like, I mean, you guys, that's not super frugal because some people yeah. are living with, you know, way less and they have a mortgage built in there too. So yeah, I, I, I feel like, you know, you save frugal, but it seems like you guys probably indulge in areas that you really appreciate. So travels is one of them. Do you have some others? It sounds like um, it's a raw dog food diet. Like that, those, <laughs> that food's expensive. Uh, no, he's, he's regular kibble. He's a kibble dog. But, um, yeah, it's funny because like I started the channel around the time that we were like really feeling complacent with our money and, you know, really laid back, you know, back in the day was when, you know, I would go hard. Like I'm not allowed to spend any money, you know, just going kind of extreme with the frugality. So, you know, it's definitely a little bit strange to be talking about, but you know, there are a lot of things that we are very frugal about, like our cars. We just bought a new car, $8,000 in cash. Like, you know, compared to, we could have spent a lot on a car. The car I drive is worth about $1,400. <laughs> so pretty, pretty frugal. I love my car, but yeah, it's getting old. What, what kind is it? A uh, Honda Accord. Okay. Uh, like an 06 or 05 or something. So a good car. But... I have a... 2005 f-150 so it's like yeah just plain yeah like an accord like there's a ton of them out there and they're pretty reliable they're cheap it was cheap when i bought it and yeah i'm gonna keep it for a long time so any are there any areas that you are frugal where you're like i know that aside from the car right are there any other areas where you're like hey i'm saving money on this and i know other people just blow it 
Ooh, uh, clothes. I buy like secondhand, like almost all my shirts and pants and everything. You know, I, I have a, I'm the guilty kind of American that has the closet full of crap. And so I was just looking in there the other day and feeling grateful that I had like all $3 items instead of like $30 items. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think clothes would be one. And you ask kind of what other areas do we like to spend on? We, we spend uh, quite a bit on entertainment. That's my husband's favorite category. So he likes playing online games, um, video and board games, that kind of thing. All right. And for the emergency fund, this is actually one of your more popular videos, so we'll definitely link it in the um, show notes and description for you. But yeah, what, what's in your emergency fund and what? how would you guide people that maybe don't have one yet or they don't know how to approach it? Yeah, so I like to break up my emergency funds into about five different funds just because I, I feel like people don't put enough why into their emergency funds. You know, people will set like an arbitrary, like $1,000 fund, but, you know, it's just, it's so much more meaningful to me to think through like, okay, this money is set aside for like, if one of my brothers has a medical issue and I need to go to Seattle. Um, so like calculating the cost of that. And then when I think about saving that money, it helps me save it because I'm thinking about my precious baby brother that I don't, you know, that I want to be there for. Uh, it also helps me to keep my hands off of the emergency fund. So just helping with the boundaries of what that money's for. I We keep about 24000 in emergency funds right now, which I know is not incredibly five, but, you know, you kind of have to balance it, right? The kind of the optimization of everything with the it, security is really important to me. I actually grew up below the federal poverty line. I try to do both, but for emergency funds, I go with the security Okay. And I, I'm ignorant. I don't even know for the, um, you know, the, the FI emergency fund, like what would, what would the experts, I'm putting all this in air quotes. So what would the experts say for 40 K in expenses? Like what would they tell you and you own your house outright? Well, so a lot of people say like three to six months of expenses. So basically in addition to that, we keep other funds. So that's one, that's one component. So I do like Okay, I need a new name for this because it's horrible and morbid, but a death fund. Uh, so that's about like $10,000. If I never spend it, it's like for my funeral for life and death scenarios, essentially. So don't ever touch that. Um, the three to six months expenses, I do um, like a job loss. So that's the three to six month. Common shortage fund. So just kind of an excess to our checking making sure we have money available for like annual payments, minimum balance. So just a few dollars so we don't overdraft and then um, paper cash because I'm old. <laughs> okay. All right. So that makes sense for people that don't have any emergency fund, like, you know, you laid out the buckets. Is there, and some people make it a little scared because they think, Hey, it's too complicated. So what's like the easiest way for someone to, to do it if they're new to putting together an emergency fund? Yeah. So, you know, I didn't start with the five buckets. Um, I started with, the, with one fund, just the, the debt fund. And, um, just cause that was the most important. So I wanted to make sure I always had that money. So I'd say start with one and then, you know, kind of you can add, scale it up from there. It's just like goal setting. You wouldn't say, oh, okay, I want to save $24,000. You know, you'd say, oh, okay, I want to have, you know, this first milestone being, you know, $950, for example. And just break it down. Okay. Break it very good. Do you see any, uh, do you see people make like big mistakes with their emergency funds? I know you do some uh, financial coaching and just help out folks that are not experts in the area. So what mistakes do you see people make? I think that people touch their emergency funds too easily. I like to think of those emergency fund like amounts as like triggers. Like if you're getting close to that, that should trigger you to say, okay, is the life I'm building sustainable? Can I, you know, tweak my income, start making more income? Can I cut expenses? I think people just, you know, go too quickly to that emergency fund. And then, like I said, like keeping arbitrary amounts, it's really helped me to keep my hands off that money because it's for very specific reasons that I've identified. Got it. Very good. 
So let's move on to working on Finance Rocks. Pretty pretty good name, Roxanne. I like that. Thank you. You quit your job in March, and you've been doing this full time for a few months. So that that's pretty huge. Can you like behind the scenes, like the conversations with uh, like your family and your husband? Like, what did people think when you were proposing this idea? Yeah. Um, so I should probably say up front that I have not replaced my income with Finance Rocks. I actually do a lot of coaching for free still. Uh, just because, you know, I'm trying to help people. And so it always feels a little weird to me to be like, oh, I'll help you with money. Uh, just pay me quick. I do a lot of coaching for free still, but I do some paid coaching. And um, yeah, so wanting to try to build that is one of my goals. I want to make sure that like, like my husband's contribution, like helping fill in with like the house chores as I've been working full time on it. So yeah, haven't replaced my income, but uh, yeah, my family, I don't know. They, I guess they weren't too surprised by it. Um, I do like working and plan to go back to working. I had a really good job and, and I enjoy like the nine to five. Uh, it's a little stressful running a business, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's very stressful, especially like the first like few months. And when I was working on my company, I was already side hustling for a couple of years. So I kind of jumped in with a pretty big head start versus, you know, you're, you were kind of starting, I mean, you were blogging for a, a couple of years, but, um, it sounds like this is a much bigger endeavor and you didn't, you weren't able to like, like I, I was able to leverage a lot of what I was doing during the side hustle period. It was super stressful for about six months and then it eased up once I got a little more traction. So, how I mean, like, how scary was it, and is it as you're like looking at the long grind of like growing a business? Yeah, it's intimidating for sure. Um, I don't, I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, I've always like really admired it. Like, I think it takes you know a lot of like courage to go and do your own thing. And yeah, so I mean, it's a struggle for me. It doesn't come naturally. I don't consider myself to be like a big hustler or anything. So that's been a little, that's been challenging. As far as like the money side of it goes, it's, it's been hard to give up like the opportunity cost of having that full-time income from me. But ultimately we're still saving almost half our income just off of my husband's income, just because, you know, he, he's a software engineer now. So um, it's been, we're pretty secure from that side, which I'm really grateful for. Cause like you said, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's a struggle they need to make the money. Yep. And why you mentioned a couple things um, that were surprising. One, you were like, ah, oh, like the nine to five. Like what, what did you like? Cause that sounds crazy to me, but you were working maybe at a place where people, you know, wanted to work versus a lot of folks that work in it, like, like myself, we, we just hate it. So yeah. Why did you like it? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I had a lot of flexibility at my job, which was really important to me. I, you know, I mostly got to choose the projects that I wanted to work on. I got to like use my boss for support, like really cool bosses. And so they were helpful. I got to learn a lot, try different things um, without that risk of, you know, failure. And I love um, stable income. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. So that's always been important to me. And yeah, no, I like having weekends free and less stress of having to make all the decisions, but. That's big. You mentioned you're probably going to go back to work and like, do you have any time frame, or is that still open? Like if things really take off with finance rocks and you're like in a good groove, like that's also curious to me where you're like, Oh, I'm going to go back to work, do the nine to five grind. I mean, people call it a grind. So yeah. what's the story there? So really, I wanted to take some time off work so that I could learn how to be an entrepreneur, learn how to run a business, because it's, it's something I've always wanted to try to do. I'm trying to do like the YouTube stuff. So I have a lot to learn there as far as, you know, editing videos and SEO content. So I like learning. And so I'm, you know, kind of digging into those things. And my goal is to hopefully streamline so that way, when I do go back to work, I can still keep it as a side hustle and have that side hustle income. But I also am considering kind of a career switch, kind of decide between maybe like going the CFP, like certified financial planner route and do the finance stuff 
um, or if I should dig into tech because I really, I think I really enjoy doing like quality assurance or um, some kind of like project management for um, IT stuff. So I really like both of those and considering that. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about project management, I, I could do that later. I'll try and talk you out of it. But <laughs> now you're shooting. Oh, what were you going to say? Oh, sorry. Sounds good. Yeah. So you're shooting for five by uh, 39. So that's a few years away. Can you like take us through the timeline and sort of the assumptions for returns and like all the details? And I'll, I'll let you just add it. So go ahead. Yeah. So our fine number goal is 1.6 million. So breaking that down as 1 million invested. So since I said our spending is 40,000 per year, that would cover that. And then, you know, net worth wise, that would include our house, um, a cash nest egg and little vehicles or whatever. So yeah, I do use the 4% rule. Um, pretty common among five people. I've considered using 3%, but ultimately you know, we could, we both like working. So it's a little hard to like go into all the details of exactly how it would work when realistically, we probably will both still have some income. So I don't know, it gets, it gets kind of tricky there, right? Trying to figure out exactly how much you will need. Yep. And I mean, the big, the big component is like, if you know how much you're spending, if you know your expenses, then it's fairly straightforward. For, for the people that aren't familiar with the 4% rule, can you quickly um, just break it down in, in the simplest way, you know? Yeah. So the 4% rule is an estimation of how much your investments will return that you can withdraw safely each year. Um, so they assume that, you know, the market averages about six to 8% per year. So then you'd have to subtract off inflation, but they assume based on, I think it's based on the Trinity study. Yeah. There's a couple. Yeah. I think yeah, a study, which I know there's flaws in the, you know, it's difficult to calculate exactly how much you'll need. But um, so 6 to 8% minus inflation gives you about 4% per year that you could withdraw out of your accounts and not even touch your principal. So just every year living off of the returns. Yep. And the 3% is more conservative because you're pulling a little bit less out and you could do 3.5. And you could, there's great simulators online. I don't know of any of the links, but you could Google it and you could put in, you know, your expenses, what you have, what you're going to have, what you think your expenses will be, and a number of other factors, including like social security, right? You could put that in as well. And if you have, like I have some retirement accounts before I started putting money into, um, you know, taxable investment accounts. So you could put all those details in and like run simulations. So, okay, cool. For the people that are thinking, hey, $1 million sounds like a really crazy amount. How can you possibly save that much? What, what do you say? What do you say to that? Oh, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's overwhelming to think about saving a million, but first of all, you don't actually have to save a million because of um, like time in the market and, um, oh gosh, compounding interest, <laughs> compounding interest. You don't actually have to invest a million to have a million. I really think it's important to, for people to kind of just focus on day to day, like trying to be frugal, focusing on making more money. Like I didn't set out to be rich. Like that was never my life goal. Like I wanted to, well, I really wanted to be middle class. I thought that would be just fabulous. <laughs> you know, I just kind of kept my head down and went as hard as I could because I didn't know how long it would take to, uh, you know, kind of find security for myself. So, you know, really focusing on just day-to-day -day actions and not getting overwhelmed by that amount. Yeah. And I, I think that's perfect because, I mean, if you're starting at zero, it does seem like pretty insurmountable. But you know, you and I had uh, careers uh, ahead of time, right? And we probably saved a little bit because we we're relatively responsible. And yeah, after a few years, you're like, oh, holy shit, I actually saved a lot of money. And then as you start making more, you're like, wow, I'm saving more. And you you could definitely get the lifestyle creep where actually a lot of my friends I actually talked to uh, a good friend of mine back in Atlanta. And he was a couple years ahead of me and, you know, great corporate career, a lot more... Um, 
overachiever than, I, I mean, I was like barely average and he was like really good getting promotions, just made great money, but he kept buying like newer expensive cars and like bigger houses in the expensive areas. And like, I mean, they're going to be working. Like, I don't even know how they're going to catch up. They have kids too. So that makes it quite, quite expensive just in general, even if you don't even consider college, it's a lot more expensive. So anyway, yeah, it's over time. It's not so bad to accumulate that much. So once you hit, uh, I guess like the, the million, right. Once you hit the 1.6, I guess in total assets, then you're in good shape. Do you think you will retire completely and stop working or you'll just find something else you like to do? So if you had asked me that when I was a kid, if you had convinced me that it was even possible to have that much money, I would have said, you know, I want to lay on the beach and, you know, chill all day. A couple of years ago, I was uh, chilling on the couch after a particularly lazy weekend. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, I can't even take a weekend off without feeling unproductive and worthless. So... <laughs> Yeah. So I'm not sure that, uh, uh, so I think we're going to continue um, to work, but you know, the nice thing about having money is that you have a lot of options. So we probably will do some travel. I'd kind of like to do like a year off and um, do slow travel around. Um, and I think that uh, I've always wanted to live abroad. So we might become Canadians at some point. That would be great. Oh, Interesting. Do you, do you guys have some, was that a joke too that I totally, no. okay. Well, then I was like, uh, because I've had some friends who, whose parents were Canadian, they got dual citizenship and stuff like that. So is that the situation for you guys or? Yeah. And you know, we've, we've never known any Canadians or lived there or anything, but, um, you know, it's, we're so close to Canada here in Montana that I, I feel like it's almost like a safe choice. You know, we could live there and, and enjoy it. Taxes though. Taxes will kill you up there, but um, they're so it's super nice, super nice people too. So mm-hmm. let's um, talk a little bit more about the, you know, retirement issue, right? Because I, I recently uh, talked about this in a previous episode. Um, one of my, one of my friends uh, over at Niche Pursuit, Spencer Haas wrote about like the fire community, uh, like lying about the, the everything, but the biggest issue most of the time, and this is what Spencer honed in on, was the retirement aspect. And, and a lot of times people see that, hey, these guys are retired. And then it turns out, you know, they're running blogs, they get like a million visitors a year, and they're probably making more than they did in their day job when they were doing really well also. So I usually push back on that. And I'm curious, Roxanne, like, what do you say when people are like, oh, they're not really retired and um, this whole thing is just a big scam? Yeah, I that's like the retirement police, right? They're going to come and lock you up for doing anything if you say you're retired. I like to think of it as just work optional, you know, that you can hit the point where you don't have to work anymore. Like I would consider that to be five. I know, it, I know it's hotly debated whether or not like you can really say that you're you know, retired, even though you're working, but I would, I would still consider it to be because I use work optional. I think that's the right way to approach it. It's not as sexy of a headline. So when it's covered now, it's like mainstream, right? It's covered in big news. So they have to have these crazy headlines, like so-and-so retired at 30 or whatever. But one of my neighbors here, um, I don't know how old she is, but she's, um, she has like kids in college. So I guess she's probably in her fifties, something like that. But she says, I'm semi-retired. So she, I think she works a few hours um, and she's cut down. She has some hobbies that she can make money at as well. Like I think she does some pottery. So, I mean, there's a lot of different approaches and I agree hundred percent. It's work optional. It's financial independence. So you have options to do whatever you want. If you want to do nothing, you can, but we're busy bodies usually. So you, you can't, stop. You just keep finding projects to work on. Yeah. So you're, you're hard in the, um, you'll probably still work as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I accidentally found this internet marketing stuff and YouTube and I enjoy, you know, connecting with folks like you and doing, 
you know, just projects and learning new things, little side hustle um, areas, because it's great to learn new stuff. It keeps your mind active, which is very important. And I think, you know, even if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably find, you know, some other thing that I was interested in. So, yeah, I mean, they have, uh, what, there's some studies out there and basically the, the places with the highest, um, or the oldest lifespans, usually the people like keep working. They don't completely retire. So have you, I think there's a place in Japan and maybe one in Greece and, but I should look it up. I have, I didn't do any research ahead of time, so we'll move on. But when people have a purpose, like they live longer and they're happier, basically. Yeah. And it's fulfilling. It's more fulfilling when you have something to do and you're helping other people, even if you're making money doing it. So yeah, I think that, uh, I think it's good. Like you said, it's healthier. There's some other sort of definitions that I'll, I'll lean on you as more of an expert in the phi area. People talk about lean phi and fat phi coast. You told me a couple other new ones, um, that I hadn't heard of, but yeah, I'll just let you sort of define them and riff on them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I consider lean fi to be you have enough money coming in to cover your like bare necessities, like the absolute bare minimum. Other ones are like barista fi, uh, where you could work part time. And I think it's barista particularly because I heard that like they get insurance. Like if you work at Starbucks, they cover your insurance. So I think that's where it came from. Like so almost enough money to retire, but you can make part time income which covers your fun money kind of thing. And then just traditional financial independence. People, the rule of thumb is like 25 times your uh, spending per year. And then like fat fire, which is like the opulence, just grand, grandiose and opulence. And then uh, I like to use like Bozeman Phi and Butte Phi because uh, different areas have different costs of living. We are like almost Butte Phi. So we could sell our house buy a median house in Butte, America, and uh, not have to work. And for the people that don't know, that is a, a cool small town, an old copper town off 90 over there, a couple hours away, right? Yeah. yeah. Not bad. So you could you could move out there. There's not as much to do, I guess, but, and it's an old copper town, so it's kind of kind of weird in that way. So for, um, the fat fire, have you heard, oh, and I won't even say fire, I'll say fat fi. So we won't even get in trouble with the retirement stuff. I've heard, um, like six figures of expenses. Of course it could scale to like whatever you want to spend, right? If you had a big family, you could spend like an unlimited amount on travel, but with two people, I would almost struggle to spend a hundred K. Yeah. Uh, that's about that's where we are with it too. The weird thing about it is, you know, you're trying to save money. So you just, you know, kind of focus on finding happiness along the journey. And so, you know, we're very happy at 40,000 per year. So it's almost like we, like you said, you'd almost have to try to spend more. Like we have to go out of our way to try to even hit 40. We've actually been at like 38, 39, 38, the last three years. So like even getting there, like trying to relax spending is, you know, almost difficult, which is a weird thing to say, right? It's yeah, um, crazy. So, yeah, it's a big number, fat five. So one of the other areas that you, you mentioned to me earlier was about just making sure you're getting your assets into a place where it could help you so it could help you earn more and basically be income producing. So what's this, what's the struggle with that? Like, why is that hard? And what are you aiming to do to get to that um, sort of ideal spot? Yeah. So I think that this has been a struggle for me because I value security more than freedom. Uh, so I, you know, kind of lean towards cash hoarding, a, a collector of sorts. <laughs> so trying to make sure that we are still optimizing, making sure that as cash comes in, we're putting it into income producing assets. Uh, so a few years ago, I started tracking how much of our net worth, what percentage is in income producing assets and what percentage of it is in non-income producing. And so when I started out, I think it was like 80-20, like 80% non-income producing. So that was like our house and like our cash nesting. So really I've been focusing on trying to get cash invested, any new income, making sure it's getting invested. We do mostly stocks, mutual funds, uh, index funds kinds of things. So now we're almost at 50-50. So I'm really excited about that. I think next month we'll take over to be 
Very cool. And can you tell us more about like where you do put the money? So you mentioned mutual funds and index funds. I'm big, like many of us in uh, just Vanguard, uh, total stock market, the VTSAX for the people that are familiar. And as I, I tried to make it more complicated and put in other funds, and then I just see that VTSAX is better with the returns over time. So I'm just leaning more into that. But yeah, we're, can you tell us more specifics? Yeah, so uh, maybe we maybe we should say uh, I'm not a financial a certified financial planner, so make sure you do your own research when choosing what to invest in. That said, we do mostly index funds. Um, we have a handful of like target date funds, um, particularly for our retirement accounts. So if you guys are unfamiliar with target date, that just means it automatically rebalances each year to be a little bit more safer at more safer. To get safer as you get closer to retirement. So a little less in stocks and a little more in bonds each year. I picked like the farthest out target date funds just to have the highest percentage of stocks. But um, that's one of our, we do that a lot. We do a lot of ETFs for our taxable brokerage accounts. And then I do some single stock trading because I think it's fun. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> have you had any big, big wins? Did you get in on Tesla or Amazon or Apple in the last six months? Uh, so I got in on Tesla. That was one of my early ones I picked was Tesla. And it went up like, oh gosh, I think that was the one where it went up like 7%. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I sold it because it couldn't possibly go oh. higher. And that was like, it was like $100 then. So oh I've gosh. missed out on quite a lot there. But um, no, I, I like the like trying to manage the emotions of it. I feel like being frugal has helped like manage the emotion of the dips. Like we bought on the dip down just recently for the coronavirus. And I, I found that it's almost harder to decide when to sell. Cause like, I'm, I just want to like secure whatever little gain there's been. So I, I just enjoy the psychology of it. Gotcha. And that's the part that drives me crazy. Cause I, I did just a tiny bit, like right when I was starting to invest and then realized it was way too stressful. And now I like, I'm not even thinking about ever selling it. This the luxury of, cause I, I don't even want to do that at all. So I'm just throwing it in the index fund. And are you currently trying to balance at all with, you know, stocks versus bonds? A lot of people will aim towards that, but you know, you're a few, obviously more than a few years out where you're going to need to draw, draw on it. So are you fairly aggressive? Yeah. Yes. Very aggressive with, so like I said, we don't have all of our net worth in investments. So that's kind of more conservative, but then with the investments, yes, heavily stocks. Um, and I calculated it like a month ago, we actually have like 70% of our net of our invested money in taxable brokerages. So really like only 30% is in retirement accounts. So it'll be easier for us to access that money, obviously not as tax efficient, but yeah, I wish I would have started investing in my 401k sooner. Yeah. Did did you start like right away when you started working or? No, no, no it was hard for me. I, I didn't, I felt like investing was for rich people, not for me. Uh, I didn't know anyone who, you know, ha was an investor or anyone that I could ask about it. And then finally one day, like uh, a lady at work was like, what do you mean you're not on the 401k? You should be getting the match. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I actually need to. And so, yeah, 4% match, missed that for two and a half years. Okay. Well, I mean, it does suck, but your your income was pretty low back then. So at least it's not as bad, right? Yeah, that's a good point. It's, yeah, the tiny bit of a silver lining, but okay. And I guess for, for people that um, they, maybe they have access to like the 401k with their corporate job. How much should they be putting in? And how do you determine that with a matching and all that? So it's pretty obvious that the match is important to get. You know, that's part of your salary package. So you want to make sure that you're taking advantage of the match. And most financial advisors that you go to will say like, make sure that you're saving 10 to 15%. I just, that just is not an exciting goal to me. I'm like, I don't even get out of bed for less than 30. So like, you know, in America, we're, we're so lucky, you know, our, we're, you know, a lot of people make good incomes. I think that like being able to save 30% is a good goal for people, even if they aren't like trying to achieve fire, just to have a goal to shoot for. 
Yeah. And it gets a little fuzzy um, sometimes and more confusing with the matching. I know some of the companies that I worked for, they would match like 50% up to 3%. So that, that means you would need to, I would need to put in 6% to get the full match. So they could make it slightly more complicated. But I would say, you, I mean, I know I asked you the question, but I have an answer. I was like, you max it out. Like this year, I think it's like 19.5, right? So for yeah. 2020, it's 19.5. It adjusts every now and then. So it's usually just under 20,000 bucks. So just max it out if you have the ability to. And then, you know, the other side of the coin, which, I mean, we actually did exactly what you're talking about, Roxanne. So at some point, I stopped putting money into my 401k because I was like, well, I have to wait longer to get to it. Yeah, there's ways to get to it ahead of time. But I was like, I'd rather just put it in taxable funds, um, taxable accounts so I can get to those funds whenever I want. So now, I mean, I, I don't even do it. And actually, this year I started for my company, uh, my solo 401k. So now I could put in the 19.5 and match it as my own employer. So whenever mm-hmm. you get to that point, you could do that too. So yeah, that's awesome. Hashtag goals. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. It's a weird, I was like, I, I need to save some money on taxes here. So, so I, I could match up to, I don't remember. I think it's like 35 that I could put in there. Some 34, nine. I don't remember. So. Yeah. What, you know, what really kind of changed our mindset about it because we had been maxing out um, 401ks and IRAs. Um, but then we learned about um, required minimum distributions, RMDs, and realized that that would really affect our tax strategy for retirement. You know, if we're happy living on 40000 per year, we don't need to be withdrawing 100000 You know, if for some reason we save too much in our retirement and have to withdraw a huge amount, like that's going to be a lot more taxes than what I factored. So something to think about there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I didn't even, I'm glad you brought up that point because I forgot about it and it would have been a problem because again, it seems like a weird problem, but if you start maxing out your 401k when you're like 23 and then um, you accumulate a lot of money, right? You have to take out a shitload of money every year. And like, it's more, I mean, that's why you would need a financial planner to help you figure out how to get your money out of there. So very strange problem, but a good one to have. So. All right. Well, are there any other things on your mind? Anything I didn't ask you that I should ask you? Um, I don't think so. You know, so I did have a question for you. I was wondering, um, does your family follow your YouTube channel? Like, are they subscribers? I don't think so. I think my, my parents may see, cause I have it sort of automated to, um, like pop up on Facebook that I put out a new video. So I think some of them like go, you know, in their feed so they would see it, but I don't think they've really watched any in the sheer volume of videos that I put out. Like it's definitely just noise now. So I don't think so. And then I have two sisters and I don't think they really, um, really follow. I think they're aware that I do some stuff, but yeah, I actually haven't really chatted with them on Fi or anything like that. Did you have another question? Because I was going to ask you some stuff too, like oh, on that same note. No, I was just wondering. My brother, uh, one of my brothers just recently, I, so I have three little brothers. One of them just recently followed and I was like, oh, that's a little hurtful. Like if your own family is like, eh, well, let's see how this goes. <laughs> that's funny. Well, and, uh, I'm curious. So you have younger uh, brothers. So are you... Are you trying, have they come to you for financial advice? Have you tried to push your, your advice on them? Which obviously doesn't work. I like, I've never really chatted with my family about it, but I'm kind of like, Hey, I want to make sure that like, they know that they're doing the right things, you know, but you know, it's better if they come to you. So what, what is going on with your family? Yeah. So I definitely pushed a lot of financial advice on them unwillingly. I don't know something about being like the big sister. I'm just like, oh yeah, you need to know this. Uh, You need to be doing what I say you should be doing. (laughs) But yeah, actually my youngest brother was one of my first clients. Like he got a good job right out of school and had questions about like setting up retirement accounts. Um, So he did come to me um, for help at one point, but yeah, I'm very pushy about it with my family. Like 
Oh, you know, because like, you know, you want your family to get to get to experience the security and the joy of like getting to be free with your money. So uh, some of each. Do you do uh, Roth IRAs and did you give your brother advice to do Roth? Yep. Roth IRAs. We, oh my gosh, Doug, we have so many accounts. I I am just a, an account whore, I guess, because we have Roth and traditional 401ks. We have Roth and traditional IRAs, a bunch of, um, like we use Vanguard, but then we have a bunch of other uh, taxable brokerages. So I just, so you get like the sign up bonus. So that is fun. And then I wanted to like learn about the different apps. So that way, if my clients had questions, I'd be knowledgeable on how to use them. Okay. That, that sort of makes sense too. And what's the cutoff for the Roth IRA income level? And the, I mentioned that because when I, that was good advice that I got from my old planner, which I wouldn't, I shouldn't have taken any of his other advice, but he was like, at some point you're going to make too much money. You won't be able to contribute, which eventually came true. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to make, what, what's the cutoff uh, currently? I, I don't actually remember the cutoff. Um, we just hit the point where like the income was high enough where we could um, put the money in, but we couldn't get the deduction. So I'm not, I, ask me that in a year and I'll have uh, an answer. <laughs> well, I think it's, um, I think it's like a, if your income is like 130 or higher, something like that. And it, I'm not sure what it is, but at the time when I started my Roth, I was like, there's no way I'm going to make a hundred and whatever. And then eventually you do. And then you're like, well, I'm glad I put some in. It is again, like all strange problems to have, but yeah, if people don't have their Roth IRAs yet, they, they should, if you have the ability yeah. to. So. Yeah. I think that's a great way to get started. That was my husband's first investment was Roth IRA. Um, and he started those young too. Cause he, I think that was one of the suggestions from his accountant was to do the, or, no, he started with traditional IRA. I apologize. But yeah, I, I, I tend to lead towards Roth as much as you can just because of the um, tax-free growth, right? Yep. You pay taxes ahead of time. And then, um, yeah. So cool. Well, where can people find you, Roxanne? Yeah. So you can find me at my YouTube channel is Finance Rocks, no space. And that's R-O-X for Roxanne. And then um, blog is the same, uh, financerocks.com. And social media, I'm most active on Instagram. So if you want to follow me, uh, same there, at financerocks. Very cool. I'll put links in everything so people can get to it easily. Thanks a lot, Roxanne. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was fun to chat. Thanks again to Roxanne. And if you have any questions for her, feel free to shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. I can follow up with her, see what she has to say. A lot of good insight. And I do love talking about this financial independence area. And I know I lose some people on it. And I, I, I realize that. I lose some people on it. However, I think it's very important. I mean, I know there's a lot of folks who are just getting started and you're thinking, Doug, this is, you know, I don't, these are problems that I don't have. Like, I, I really don't want to think about trying to save a whole bunch of money. Like, I'm just trying to make ends meet. And I, I appreciate that. And I understand. I also know that there are a lot of advanced people in the audience who are doing this full time. They have some thing that maybe started as a side hustle and it grew bigger and bigger, and you're making a full-time living probably way better than you would have been, I mean, way, way better than you would have been doing in your corporate job, and you have all this freedom, and you're just making a lot of money, and you don't know what to do with it. You have a ton of options, and for me personally, I'm a bit lazy, although it doesn't, it may not seem like it from the outside, but... I sure do love just being lazy, chilling out, kicking back in the backyard. I do like, you know, working on projects and stuff, but I like to work really hard and then just chill out for a while and maybe not get a lot done. So when I'm working really hard, I am very focused. I may be working long days. And when I check out, I check the fuck out. I'm, I'm usually like detached 
And I actually have a few days coming up here where I'm planning on doing like a full sort of screen detox where probably turn off email and uninstall Instagram and some other time wasters that are, that are just there distracting me. So uh, the point, the point is like, I know there's a lot of folks out there that are trying to figure out what to do with their money. And for me personally, because I am lazy, I, I really like the index fund approach. And like Roxanne said, I'm not a um, financial, I have no qualifications. So this is all for entertainment purposes. I almost, I have, I'm just making it up. All right. Just imagine it like that. Totally full of shit, but so take it with a grain of salt, but I really like the index fund approach. And if you buy in to the slow growth model and just sticking with compound interest, not trying to beat the market, not trying to outsmart anyone, not doing individual stock picks or anything like that, then it's a pretty solid approach as long as you're looking at a long enough time period. Yes, there could be some crazy things that happen that change the world forever. I mean, we're going through quarantining and COVID-19 right now. Obviously, big changes are going to be coming, but unless something dramatically changes with the way the stock market works and the monetary policy, like chances are it's not going to shift in a super dramatic way where everything collapses. It may shift, but it's probably going to be within some margin that fits with the assumptions that people have with the financial independence movement. Now, as far as being retired, I emphasized it when we chatted and yeah, th- throw out the word retired. Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm working. I'm going to keep working. I'm happier when I'm doing something. And most people are happier when they're doing something. So if most people don't completely retire and yeah, it, it doesn't even matter. So I'm throwing that out. I'm not even going to use it. And the other portion is a lot of people do like to get into real estate. That's another big area, super popular Uh, People also talk about real estate as being passive income. Of course, with real estate, you often, not always, but you often have to have a lot of capital up front. And the other portion is you need to have property managers or other staff in place or it's not so passive and there's a lot more upkeep you have to do. Now, the perfect kind of person to do uh, real estate is someone who has uh, you know, carpentry skills, some construction skills, or enjoys learning that sort of stuff. Plumbing, like any, like if you could fix up a house and you have those fixer upper skills, then real estate totally makes sense. I like to think that I can learn some of those things and maybe I will in the future, but I haven't put in the time and it is not an area that I have a lot of skills. I could do some very basic very basic like home maintenance, but I'm no fixer upper. So for me, real estate isn't a great option. And I would rather like make less money, have potentially less returns in the stock market than potentially making a lot more money with real estate. And I mean, the jury's out, right? You could find great examples of people who make a ton of money. They have uh, apartment buildings and a property management company to manage the building and they're, they're doing fantastic and it's great. It works for them. And then there's other, I mean, you could find other examples where people bought in a a poor area, the, the property didn't appreciate and the math didn't work out in the beginning. So, but I know a ton of people do love real estate and they like looking at houses and all that kind of stuff. And I don't enjoy basically any of those things that I described, which is why, I like to invest in the stock market in a fairly hands-off approach, which is, you know, Vanguard index funds. It's so boring. It's like literally the most boring way you could do it, but then you don't have to worry about it. And when the stock market goes down and it dropped a lot and I didn't freak out. In fact, I bought more, I bought more and I actually bought a fairly significant amount um, during the sort of, downturn here in the middle of the year. So I was happy about that. And, you know, you can't really time the market, but every now and then you get lucky. And I got a little bit lucky. I didn't, you know, make crazy amount of money, but it's not bad. 
It's not bad. It helps. Every little bit helps. And, you know, the compound interest, of course, it compounds over time. So it's a great way to handle it. So with that said, I would love to hear if you are loving the finance, the personal finance talk, or if you're so bored that you didn't actually get to this point in the podcast. Definitely curious about it. I will probably, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm interested in the topics and I have access to a lot of people who are super knowledgeable. So it is highly likely that I'm going to lean into it and I'll try and you know mix it up. I have done um, a ton of affiliate marketing success stories over the past couple months. So I'm probably going to ease up and hit some other topics that I'm interested in as well. It's always uh, great to just talk and learn from other people. So I'll leave it at that. You guys and gals have a great day out there and we'll catch you on the next episode.